The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Today, we talk about dysfunction. What is dysfunction? Appears not to be dysfunction. People trying to come out of their dysfunctional franchise role, maybe becoming functional. Uh, and honestly, to, be, to start off, that's where we go first. What's happening in New Orleans, which might be the worst team in the NBA. We check in on the Bulls that were functional and then dysfunctional and functional and then dysfunctional and now have a 3-0 start. We talk about the Charlotte Hornets, which were dysfunctional and now functional. We talked about the Sacramento Kings, which forever have been dysfunctional. I think they still are, but somehow they're functioning, if that makes sense. All right, Brock, let's get into it. seen a a car accident before it happens and like you are driving down the road and it's happening in front of you and you see the car coming over and the car that's in the lane just trying to stay in the lane you know it's like one of those rickety like cars it's just trying to stay the tires are sort of shaking on that car and it doesn't even know what's happening and there's another car coming from the right to side swipe him and you know it's gonna happen and you're like 15 seconds more aware than everyone else, but it's happening. Regardless of what you do, regardless of what you say, if you try to help, if you don't, it's happening. It's awful. It's honestly one of the worst feelings to experience. It's it's worse when it happens to you, of course, but when you watch it, it's like your whole body tenses up. And in a lot of ways, that's what's happening right now with the New Orleans Pelicans. The car that's about to side swipe, that other janky-ass car that looks like it's a luxury vehicle, but really it's not, that's the Pelicans. And the janky-ass car is Zion. There are drivers that are accident-prone, the ones that continue to side swipe other cars. That's also the Pelicans. They've done this a couple of times before. They, don't, they can't even get insured. Like, they have to go to the general. Because, like, Geico and State Farm, like, no one will even cover their ass because they're so dangerous to to society. This is like a pattern for them. They're not watching what's going on. They're doing whatever the fuck they want to do, regardless of the outcome around them. They're just reckless. That's the Pelicans. It's happened before. It's happening again. I have to say, it's hard to take this mantle from the Sacramento Kings, but I think... 
The Pelicans are the most dysfunctional franchise right now in the NBA. And it's not close. Like, this is a franchise, if I need to remind you, that's already lost Chris Paul once. They lost Anthony Davis. He forced his way out. And now they're going to fuck around and they're going to lose Zion. They've lucked into, think about that, they've lucked into three transcendent players and I don't think any of them are going to stay their entire careers there. They, these are idiots that just bumble their way into like the greatest players, top 75 players, and still find a way to fuck it up. And they're just good enough that every single mediocre team that plays them feels good about beating them right now. That's where they are at. Like, I believe that the world has not seen this train or car crash happen yet. I am just the only one that can see it. But the truth is they are a dog shit team. They are really bad. They may only be slightly better than the Pistons, and I don't even know if they are. That is a stretch. They have more wins. They They may end up having more wins than Oklahoma City But that's just because Oklahoma City wants to lose. Like, if Oklahoma City actually desired to win games, I think the New Orleans could be the worst team in the West. And once again, this dumpster fire of an organization is going to chase this generational talent out of town again. New Orleans has a problem, and he's eating beignets and is over 300 pounds. And he's not going to play... Gone till November, March, April, May. Like, he is gone. No one knows when he's coming back or if he's going to be healthy or what. And that 300-pound transcendent star is seething. He's seething at his general manager, the way that they are treating him, the way that they're slowly integrating him back into the team after his multitude of injuries. Fair enough. But now they seem to be having a fire sale as well. They don't seem to be motivated to keeping Zion happy or healthy, despite him telling the world everyone, despite him telling the world how much he loves playing in Madison Square Garden. Like they don't seem to realize what is happening, or maybe they do. Like maybe they do. Like truthfully, Zion should have been drafted to the Knicks, and Zion knew that. And somehow again, because they probably made a deal with the devil like they got the number one pick again and drafted Zion. So then they made a bunch of moves this offseason, right? And Griffin tried to tell us, oh, these are the moves that are going to take us over the, over the edge. We're going to be, we're going to make the playoffs now. Because remember, like they have not made the playoffs since, it's been years. Honestly, it's been four or five years since they've made the playoffs. And look, they none of these moves have mattered. They took their only real defensive presence in Steven Adams, and they moved him out. And that was a team that was historically bad at defense. And now a team that struggled defensively is still struggling defensively. They're even worse. And now they can't score. They, they, they're giving up 114 points per game and haven't scored 100 in two out of the three games. I'd say that point differential is a problem, right? That was the one thing that they were actually good at last year, and now they're fucking trash at that. They are bad at every single thing, which is why they haven't won a game yet, and they might actually not even win a game until they either play Oklahoma City, Houston, or until Zion returns. Can you see the car accident? What does all this mean? 
To me, it means trouble, 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 trouble. And according to the recent news that just came out two days ago, New Orleans might be headed for a fire sale. Three games in, there are rumors that Josh Hart is already on the trade block. Josh Hart? Josh Hart is 26 years old. Josh Hart just signed to a three-year deal, a team-friendly deal like yesterday. And yet, according to multiple NBA executives, Hart is now on the trade block. And the three-year deal he signed with the Pelicans apparently has made him even more valuable to other teams. It's almost like David Griffin planned this from the beginning. He had no intention of not only keeping Hart, but also making the Pelicans a threat to any playoff contention. They're not even a play-in team, and I think David Griffin knows that. The question is, why is David Griffin putting Josh Hart on the trade market? What are they looking for? Maybe a young athletic wing on a team-friendly contract that could shoot? Oh, I don't know. You mean Josh Hart? Like, that's Josh Hart. Excuse me. You can't trade Josh Hart for Josh Hart. That don't make no sense. There's only one answer. New Orleans is desperate. They're looking for draft picks because, in my opinion, they, too, see the car wreck. Zion is either going to leave to New York, most likely, if New York will have him, or Zion will stay for the long term, be on the books for the long term, and not be playing for the long term. Look at how they performed so far this year without Zion. 0-3 with losses to Philly, Chicago, and Minnesota by an average of over 14 points. None of these games, that looks kind of close, but none of these games have been particularly close. In their opening loss to the Sixers, Valanchunas, their guy that was supposed to come in to help them with scoring, which they didn't need, shot 3 for 19. 3 for 19? I could shoot 3 for 19. If I was 7 foot, I'd do better than 3 for 19. I promise you that. And people who wondered how Valanchunas would work within this offense, they had a right to be concerned. (laughs) And that is without Zion there, and Zion is the one that fucks up the spacing. Let's look at it another way. The Pelicans went 2-9 and last season when Zion did not play. Their two victories were over Houston, like I told you before, Brock. It was a bad year for Houston. They were mailing it in. They lost 20 games in a row. It was bad. And that was without John Wall and Charlotte without Mello or Hayward or Bridges. Okay, so dog shit teams without their quote-unquote stars. They might be the worst team in the NBA without Zion. Like, they could be the worst. And with Zion, they weren't even anywhere near the playoffs. And he was balling the fuck out. He was averaging almost 30. So what the fuck? One of the things that I asked last year that went bananas was, if Zion is so good, then why are the Pelicans so trash? This team, I'm sorry to say it, but I got to say it. They're headed for a rebuild, whether they like it or not. The crash is coming. It's just a matter of time. It's just how slow or how fast, whether you react, whether you don't, but like it's a matter of how much damage, but not whether there's going to be damage. The car wreck is 
coming, folks. And the one thing that we know for sure is that David Griffin will not be surviving this car wreck. Bring out the stretcher and the ambulance. Woo, woo! There's been... <laughs> there's been a casualty and his name is David Griffin move over Sacramento there's a new challenger for the crown of the shittiest most dysfunctional rotten franchise in the NBA Game of Thrones style they're coming the red wedding is here beignets are aplenty early surprises Everyone's trying to find someone, that new franchise player, or a collection of stars to put them over the top. Franchises that have never done a goddamn thing in many, many years are now telling us, telling the world, they are something. They have found the one, the new one. A week into the season, we've already had some, I'll call it interesting surprises. No, I'm not talking about the Golden State Warriors and how Jordan Poole is going to be the most improved player. And their 3-0 start, that means absolutely nothing. I mean, nobody except for Golden State knows what the Chicago Bulls are feeling right now, which is an undefeated season that means absolutely nothing. Uh, so, no, I'm not going to walk that take back for a month or so. I'm talking about the Bulls, the Hornets, and the Kings, all of which have had fast starts, are lighting up the headlines, tweets abound, TikToks, etc. Everybody's talking about these three teams. There's been a lot of doubters, myself included. So let's evaluate these three teams and whether what they're doing is meaningful in any way and why. Let's start with the Bulls. Man, I tell you what. There, there might not be a team that people desperately want to be good more than the Chicago Bulls. Like... The world of NBA fans desperately wants them to succeed. I get that. Like, it's Jordan's team. And when Jordan's team is good, all is right in the world. Money is aplenty. I mean, people who don't care about the NBA at all are like, Hey, yo, Trista, what you think? Vooch, Lonzo, DeMar DeRozan, what? We are, what are you fucking talking about right now? They don't even know what the NBA is. They don't even know who these players are, except for that it's on the Chicago Tribune. Like, they have no clue what's going on. They believe these guys are going to save them. I never thought anyone would be so excited about DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball and Alice Caruso in my life, but here we are. Like, Vooch, Vooch was the first option for the Orlando Magic. Like, please. And the worst part, they're 3-0. They're 3-0, and now the world is like, hey, are they good? This is an accomplishment. Look at us. Look at the Bulls. The hype train immense. The media, the media is culpable in this, really, truthfully, because they're putting out these headlines that they know aren't true. They know when they posit Bulls, new era, they know that that's a lie, that and that's a lie, because they watch just as much basketball as me. They are part of this problem. This it's pr- quite unacceptable to me to, I guess, peddle to the world something that you know is going to not work out, and get their hopes up and then let them fall. This is some of the headlines that we're talking about right now. Bulls' active defensive identity is contagious. 
I mean, this team can't play defense. Like, they don't play defense at all. And there's a couple of good blocks against some dog shit teams, and now it's like that defensive identity. Okay. Another one. Quote, dawn of a new era? New look bulls fire on all cylinders and home opener. All the cylinders were firing. I hate to burst your bubble, but uh, you you just beat Detroit that were the worst team in the NBA last year. They were the number one pick in this draft, and you beat them barely without that player, Cade Cunningham. And then the other team that you beat, the most dysfunctional team in the league, New Orleans Pelicans. The one, the team that I just said was the team that people get excited about and they hang their head on that win, and that win means nothing because nobody knows yet the New Orleans Pelicans are a fucking disaster. So it's game Two, you beat the Pelicans, and people still think it's the Pelicans because of the name, but that doesn't mean anything. Those wins mean nothing. That means, and by the way, there was no Zion. So Pistons twice with no Cade, Pelicans without Zion. The Josh Hartless-led Pelicans. I mean, the people are desperate. Like, I get that the Bulls haven't been good since Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose and before that Michael Jordan. Both of those guys ended up not wanting to even be there long-term, which I totally understand. That's like heartbreak. And you need something to give you hope. And I, I get it. Like, you haven't had hope in a while. Things have been bad, like the, the Gar Foreman age. You know, things have just been real dysfunctional. You talk about dysfunctional. They have been dysfunctional. But I beg you, please don't say that the Bulls are going to be a four seed. Like, please don't try to peddle me some bullshit that they're going to be able to beat the Bucks or the Nets or the Heat or even the Charlotte Hornets in a seven-game series. Like, please try your very best to not try to say that Giannis is in any way concerned about the Chicago Bulls because he is, he is not. Take a gander at the schedule, folks. Please, after you've played the Nets, the Knicks, the Jazz, the Celtics, Sixers, Mavs, and the Warriors, Clippers, and the Lakers, please come talk to me November 15th after your West Coast road trip when you're, I don't know, 4-12? and 12? <laughs> My early reaction is that they're fun, attract them. They're fun, they're attractive. We'll call the, them the makeup gorgeous, not wake-up gorgeous type of team, right? Like they are an Iowa 7 who got their makeup done at Sephora, their hair done. They go to the club. You take them home, you're like, she's kind of hot. Strip off all those random layers of makeup and those fake lashes, and it's like, woof. Man, not only is she not attractive, she also lacks depth and substance. In other words, the Chicago Bulls are catfishing the entire NBA. Yes, sir. Don't worry, folks. I have, I have a trained eye for these things. I know what a sexy team with substance and depth looks like. The Chicago Bulls, like I said, they are in Iowa 7 at best. I'll let you know if things change, but don't get your hopes up. Let's talk about the Hornets and Michael Jordan for a second. Here's a quick potential thought that I don't necessarily know if I believe. But maybe MJ wasn't actually a bad owner. Maybe he just never found the right talent that fit into his maniacal style that he needed from a star until now. Maybe he never found a guy that he wanted to build a team around because all these young guns are soft as hell 
and they're too worried about their IG shit than getting back into the gym. Possibility. I don't actually know if that's true. But now it's possible. But this Hornets team is fun. It's sexy. And what took them over the top and what MJ is salivating over now is 100% LaMelo Ball. Michael Jordan, the owner, potentially has been waiting for a player with like LaMelo Ball for his entire career. LaMelo is, he's kind of like a throwback in my opinion. LaMelo is, is just cut differently, cut like a guy from the 80s and the 90s. And there is nothing that Michael Jordan likes more than players that remind him of himself. <laughs> like truthfully. Here, here is how we know that LaMelo is cut different. The Athletic recently discussed how LaMelo took one of the most aggressive possible approaches to coming back from his broken wrist last year. Why, you may ask? Apparently, he saw the Hornets drop off of a cliff when he and Gordon Hayward went down and knew their postseason chances were fading so fast that he sped up his rehab process from a year to five weeks. He should have been out for the year. They should have shut him down, and they were going to shut him down. And by the way, if he was playing for the Utah Jazz right now, he probably still even wouldn't be playing basketball. Ask Donovan Mitchell about that. Like, Donovan Mitchell, like, twisted his ankle on a curb and sat out two games of the playoffs. Like, that is the Utah Jazz. But LaMelo was like, fuck this bullshit. Like, I am going to come back early. And instead of being shut down for the year, he made a playoff push. And on top of everything else, his winning mentality, he also, which Michael Jordan also loves, is loyal. He now says he doesn't want to switch teams. He said, I still feel like I have that old mentality that they had back in the day. Even with switching teams and stuff, they never used to do that. You go to one team and you stay there. Oh, my God. If you're Michael Jordan, you've got to just be like, oh, my God. Like, insert Leonardo DiCaprio, like, teeth to the fist. Oh, my oh my God, LaMelo Ball. And I have to say, as an aside, like, the Warriors made a big mistake not drafting him. But these are the types of quotes, these are the types of actions, this is the kind of kid that makes Michael Jordan, you know, in a, in a matter of words, we'll say, go from 6 to 12 in like two seconds, right? Like he wants to hear nothing more than I will stay with you forever and I will grind my body down to dust for four more wins until I retire like Kobe. And now... The Hornets 3-0 for the first time in franchise history. They came back from 23 points in the second half against Indiana. Guess what? LaMelo was the reason. Of course, 12 points during a 24-0 run in the third quarter. What does that mean? Taking the game over by yourself when the rest of the team is struggling. Putting the team on your back like a hard rock. Does that sound like anybody to you? And now he's getting other players to buy in like Michael did too. Remember Michael Jordan was like, listen, I'm not going to play with scrubs. Like you need to give me your 100% or I'm going to fuck you up. Miles Bridges now balling out. James Borrego, head coach, just said after the win against Brooklyn, Miles is playing with tenacity, guarding Kevin Durant, then driving to score on the other end. I mean, folks, they are all buying in. This is the team. This is the mentality. This is the star that Jordan, the player, Jordan, the manager, Jordan, the owner, has dreamed of his entire life. 
And so, yeah, I don't think wins over Brooklyn, Cleveland, and Indiana necessarily mean this team's going to be like a three seed in the stacked East. Like, how far could they go? I don't know, man. Like, they could beat anyone on any given night. I said this last year. They were my league pass team of the year last year. And they're even better now. All of that to say, people call me a hater, but I have nice things to say too. With Melo running the team, the future is extremely bright in Charlotte. Maybe more bright Another than 80% team of the teams in the league. That right actually now. looks good right now? Surprisingly good? Despite all of the... 25 years of dysfunction and the trade rumors in the offseason, a number two pick who's a bust. They're not even playing him very many minutes. He wants to be traded. They won't trade him. They're benching him. Terrible coach, cheap as hell franchise. Like, you're talking about the dysfunctional of dysfunctional. The Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings, my golly, look good. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I didn't see it coming. And it is only three games in. So I reserve the right to say it's fluid. It's fluid. But Luke Walton right now, I tell you what, Luke Walton is in a unique position because he is like, Luke Walton's kind of like that tenured professor that knows his ass can't be fired. So he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Like he's, I am going to do whatever I want because fuck it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to try new things. I'm going to draft an undersized guard out of Baylor, even though I have three other guards. Like, I might even put them on the floor at the same time. You know what? Let's get crazy. Let's experiment. I mean, it's working. Having no pressure to be good at your job is liberating. I mean, I've been doing that for the last five years. Honestly, what are you going to do? Who else are you going to get? Honestly, you're going to find another girl who likes sports games? I doubt that. You've got the freedom to experiment. Of course, like soberly, maybe. You've got fun. Literally no stress at potentially having accountability for doing things under expectations. Like if you, what you try, your new innovative approach, if it doesn't work right away, who cares? Try something again. Keep going with it. I don't know any of it. It's like the incubator of the NBA, legitimately like a startup team. Like we're just going to do things that no one's ever even conceived of doing before because wins don't matter. My job is very secure. These players, who cares? We can trade them. We can keep them. We can keep them hostage. Doesn't matter. No one is going to fire me. Unless they want to cut me a check for $20 million, which I know that they won't do because I know they're cheap as hell. I've got them over the barrel, folks. So what are we going to do? We're going to have a whole lot of fun. Let's get crazy. Let's do whatever we want out here. No one's even watching us. We don't even have nationally televised games. People won't even know until 48 hours later what's going on. Tremendous. Actually... If I think about it, more teams should employ this method because there's only going to be two teams in the finals. There's only maybe six that are contending. 24, let's do whatever we want. Let's see what's happening. Let's be fun. Let's be exciting. 
And the Kings are exciting. They're one and two, but God damn it, they've been competitive. They beat the Portland Trailblazers, my team, which I knew they would do because that's us. That's what we do. They almost beat the Jazz. Even though the Jazz beat them by, I want to say, like 12, they were winning that game for most of the game. They took them to the wire. After the game, Donovan Mitchell was like, man, that Davion Mitchell kid, this was one of the hardest regular season wins I've ever had in my entire life. Like, they had us in prison, clamps. The playoff intensity was there in game two. In game two, he said it was a playoff atmosphere. This might go down as, I wouldn't say one of our best wins, but maybe one of our biggest because of our perseverance. And now Davion Mitchell, they're calling him the new Kyle Lowry. He had 17 points off the bench against the Warriors in the first half. This kid is killing the game. And I have to say, speaking of Davion Mitchell, my initial scouting report on him was, uh, I don't know if I would say wrong, but I would say slightly off. Like, this is what I said. Because I have to be fair to our listeners. I said Davion Mitchell was too small. I said... Davion Mitchell was too small to be able to get his shot off in the NBA. I said Davion Mitchell was probably a G League player. <laughs> I said Sacramento should have never drafted him in that spot. There were plenty of other players better than Davion. Uh, Davion's not good enough at defense to make up for his lack of shot creation. Uh, <laughs> Sacramento Kings drafting Davion Mitchell was the prime example of how bad Sacramento is as a franchise. They are a laughingstock. This pick was a laughingstock. So, was that a bad take? I would say three games in, it does seem slightly cold. Not ice cold, but right before freezing cold, I would say the ice cube isn't solid, but, you know, you can tap on it and there's some ice at the top. Wrong, wrong, wrong me. Just dumb take. He is putting folks in prison. He put Donovan Mitchell in prison. Steph Curry, 9 for 23 when Davion guarded him. Davion is holding opponents to 31% shooting from the field, and he is guarding stars. 11% below their average as a goddamn rookie. And now Davion, because of this, three games in, has now got possibly the greatest nickname in the NBA. They are now calling Davion, get this, Davion Off-Night Mitchell because everyone has an off-night when Davion is guarding them. Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, guys who get buckets are ice cold when Davion has got his body on them. Oh, this is what Davion had to say. Okay, so through three games, you've gone up against CJ and Dame, you've gone up against Donovan and Jordan uh, Clarkson, and now Steph, who's been the most difficult, or which one is the biggest learning moment for you? I think for me, it will probably be Steph. I mean, just because it's kind of more of off-ball situation where he can really play play the game of basketball off off the ball like he's always moving um setting great screens cutting getting layups getting his teammates open so i think 
So great. And then you get the treat of going up against Booker and <laughs> CP3 the next game. Yeah, just like, how do you crazy. just wrap your head around it and how much film study are you doing? I mean, you gotta do a lot of film study. I mean, especially because these guys are really good. Um, you, tr you gotta try to take away things that they like to do, um, kind of slow them down a little bit, but I mean, but it's hard. I mean, the, the NBA is a really good league. You're gonna play everyone, someone every night. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, we'll be, we'll be prepared. So, yeah, I mean, Davion is getting thrown to the Wolves really early. In his first three games, he's had to guard Dame, CJ, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Steph Curry, next up CP3 and Book. I mean, it does not get any tougher than that. Steph Curry called Davion a pest, which is probably the best compliment you could get from him. But then he said this, all of that hype about Davion's offense, all that hype about Davion's defense, but this man was an offensive assassin tonight. Yeah. Davion had 20 points off the bench that night. Let's break it down even more. Dame, CJ, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson when, defa when defended by Davion Mitchell. 75 possessions, 20 points, 7 for 27, which is 25.9%, 3 for 10 from 3, 30%, and 3 turnovers. Like, this guy has clamps. This guy's like Drew Holiday level, and he's a rookie. These are elite scorers he is putting in prison. He is a more fluid Lou Dort that can score. Like, he is clamps. He can pass. I don't know if you saw the clip, but he was guarding Donovan Mitchell, had his body on him, had his body on him, had his body on him. Donovan Mitchell went up for a layup, and he snatched it out of his hands like a bully on the court, ran down the other way, threw a lob to his teammate, alley -oop. I have a new favorite for Rookie of the Year, Brock. Not Cade, not Jalen Green, not even Chris Duarte. It is, for me, my bet is now on, firmly planted. I've turned my thoughts around. I've seen the errors of my ways. My Rookie of the Year vote right now, Davion, off night, Mitchell, the stat killer. That's the new line that I've created for him. The stat, Davion, off night, Mitchell, the stat killer. So anybody says, anybody ever says Davion off night Mitchell, then you follow that up by saying the stat killer. They say about 70% of the earth's surface is covered by water. The rest is covered by Davion Mitchell. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check podcast. We'll be back Wednesday, mor Wednesday morning, early squirrely. We'll have Q&As for you as well. Don't forget to follow us at Trista Crick and at This Heat Check on TikTok and download, subscribe, and give us a rating on Spotify and Apple. Let's go, Brock. Let's go.